Welcome once again to City Church. I wanted to just agree with Dwindle, man. If you're a first-time guest with us, man, thank you for joining us. We're excited that you're here today. If you are a first-time guest, you should find in your seat a connection card. If you can take just a minute to fill that out and drop it in the offering bucket when it comes by at the end of service, we would appreciate that very, very much. I think I got a little ring in my mic. If you guys can try and figure that out for me, that would be awesome. Thank you, guys. All right, well, if you are new with us or haven't been here the past few weeks, we've been doing this series called Glad You Asked. We've been fielding questions from right here from our church body on uh, all, all kinds of things, man, things in life, situations, relationships. What does the Bible have to say about certain things? And we've been trying to dive in and find the answers. And so we are continuing in this series to, uh, today with uh, a real look at cultural situations and one big one in particular, which we'll talk about in just a minute. But just as a reminder for those who have been here and to give you a foundation, if you haven't, we basically have three principles that are guiding us. Uh, whatever questions we receive and, and that we have a chance to answer, uh, first of all, if the Bible speaks clearly and directly, we're going to answer clearly and directly. We're never going to apologize for the word of God. And if the Bible is clear and, and speaks specifically to an issue, we're going to Try and find what the Bible has to say about it. And secondly, there might be some things that the Bible doesn't speak directly about, but there are spiritual principles that we can apply. And so if the Bible doesn't speak directly, we're going to look for those scriptural principles and apply them as well as we can. And then thirdly, and I've been saying this every week, and today will actually be the first time I actually get to use this category. If there's something the Bible doesn't speak to at all, I'm going to give you my opinion. So today you're going to get to hear some of my opinion as well as some of the word of God, and I'll tell you when the opinion comes, and you can just block that out if you like. But I do want to answer the questions as well as we can. So uh, if you have questions today, you can text those in, just as we've been doing throughout this series. That phone number, uh, it'll be in the bottom left-hand corner of your screen, but it's 662-404-2489, 662-404-2489. So fire those in. We have been getting incredible questions, by the way. Um, I don't know what it is about the text message, like in this culture, we get some awesome questions coming in on that phone. So keep those coming. Thank you guys for contributing. Uh, it's so cool to see you get a chance to be a part of, of building my messages and seeing exactly where we go. So today, like I said, we're at part three. We're going to be looking at questions of culture. And I thought we might be able to get all the cultural questions into one day, but I don't think we're going to. This will probably be part one of two on the cultural stuff. Because today, we're looking at by far the most frequently asked question. Uh, overwhelming majority of the questions that have come in the most on this particular theme, and that is homosexuality. So today, we're going to dive into the questions about what does the Bible say about homosexuality, this particular aspect of our culture. So uh, there's four questions that we've received about homosexuality. I'm going to go ahead and give you these, and, and then we're going to go back through them kind of in reverse. The first one is, can active homosexuals get to heaven? If somebody is a practicing active homosexuals, can they go to heaven? Next question was, uh, what if someone is truly born homosexual? Uh, you may have heard this question before. Uh, are people born gay? Do they choose to be gay? Uh, so what if somebody is born homosexual? What, how do we respond to that? What does the Bible have to say about that? Another one that came in is, uh, what is said about homosexuals, and I think the implication there is what is said in the Bible about homosexuals, and the final question is exactly that. What does the Bible say about being a homosexual? So before 
we get into these questions, um, I want to say this. I understand this can be a very, very delicate topic. Um, in today's culture and the way that things are in America today, uh, many of us are going to have a personal connection to someone in this category. Or perhaps even that might be you yourself. Maybe you've struggled with that. Maybe you're in that place and, and you're openly practicing homosexuality today. Uh, if not you, then maybe a family member, uh, an aunt, a cousin, a nephew, uh, maybe somebody that you work with or a neighbor or a friend. Most of us have some sort of a personal connection to someone who is in a place of homosexuality. And, and I believe truly, with, with all my heart, this is the key question of the 21st century when it comes to church. The way that the church, the way that Christianity responds to homosexuality in, in our culture, the way that it is becoming so accepted and, and so uh, widespread, so public, the way that the church responds to this question is going to define, are we going to continue to reach people for the glory of God, or is the church going to become irrelevant and forgotten about? It's a massively, massively important question. I was in uh, our production meeting, 9.15 every Sunday morning. We have a meeting with our team, with our worship team, our media uh, where we just go over the, the order of the service, make sure everybody knows exactly what's going on, has all of their transitions ready. And uh, I told them this. Well, actually, one of them told me, you know, you're probably going to make some people mad today. And I said, you know what? I know that. I said, but here's my goal. I want to make people mad on both sides. I said, if I make people mad on both sides, then I know I did the right thing. If I, only one side is upset with me, then I probably missed the mark because I do believe there is a balance to this. And uh, I'm not really hoping to make people mad. I love everybody. Okay, I want everybody to like me. But more importantly, I want to speak the truth. Uh, and I want to get into what does the word of God actually have to say on this topic. Um, I personally have some, some deep feelings in this area. Uh, grew up in Seattle, Washington, as many of you know, until I was almost 15 years old. And if you don't know anything about Seattle, it's not the South. Uh, it is not the South geographically, it's not the South culturally, uh, it is much, much different. And so in my street, we lived on a dead-end street in West Seattle, uh, and on my street in West Seattle, we actually had a lesbian couple just right up the road. In fact, uh, I hung out with their two sons quite a bit. I remember going over to one of their birthday parties and uh, seeing some pictures on the wall, which I had no comprehension of what they meant and what they were all about at about eight years old, and some uh, symbols and some different things. But... Uh, it was much more widespread, much more open in that part of the country where I grew up. Once we moved to the south, obviously, things were a little bit different. And when I was 16 years old, I got my first real job. I started working at Taco Bell. And uh, not too long after I started working at Taco Bell, a couple of weeks actually, I found out that the manager who hired me, who I interviewed with, was gay. And I found out when I met his boyfriend. Uh, and that was uh, quite a little bit of a shock to me. Uh, it turned out that Five of the guys who worked at that particular Taco Bell were gay. And I remember just wrestling with this and being so uh, kind of disturbed by it at 16 years old. And it just really bothered me. And there were other people that worked there that, that were straight, obviously. And I remember one morning I was getting ready for school and I was kind of thinking about what's going on at Taco Bell, which that's a really funny statement. Uh, but <laughs> it's true. Uh, so I was thinking about my Taco Bell experiences and I was just bothered by uh, the, this homosexuality there, and I remember just the conviction of the Holy Spirit, like one of the few times in my life where I could say, like, I knew without a shadow of a doubt that God was speaking to me, like, clearly in this moment, and I felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit that, why are you so bothered by them 
but it doesn't bother you that your three other managers are living with their girlfriend or with their boyfriend and living in sin. Why, why is this sin so grotesque to you and this is just normal and okay? And I remember just kind of being convicted and kind of feeling like, like a bad Christian. I don't know if you ever felt like a bad Christian. Uh, but, I, you know, like I had missed the point. Uh, and, and so from that day forward, I, I felt like God had a purpose for me somewhere in my ministry calling, because before, I already knew that at that point in time I was going to be a pastor, uh, to, to reconcile the church to the homosexual community. And, and not saying that they're supposed to all get along and we embrace everything by any means, but that, man, there's people who aren't being reached because many times I think the church has taken the wrong direction, it has taken the wrong, not necessarily the wrong stance, but the, stance, the right stance and the wrong attitude. Uh, and that, man... We, need, we are called to love people. We are called to love sinners. We are all sinners. We are all falling short of the glory of God. Uh, and, and so this is something that I take very, very seriously. This is not something that I'm just hitting because, hey, most of the questions came in on this, and so I'm going to answer some questions. This is something that I really believe is part of what God has called me to, to, to speak to this issue. And that's not to say that I'm going to ex- answer everything exactly right or that I have it all figured out by any means because I know that I don't. But I do really believe that this is something that, that we as a church must respond to, as City Church, as, as the greater church of Jesus Christ. We have to respond to this, and we need to respond to it well. As youth pastor here uh, at the 662, uh, we've had multiple gay and lesbian students come through our ministry. Um, we have, uh, I remember mo- more than one experience where we prayed with a student who was openly gay, openly in a relationship uh, to receive Jesus Christ, uh, where they uh, were overwhelmed by the fact that they came here and actually felt loved and accepted and not shunned, and, and that they were able to meet Jesus. And we've, uh, my wife and I have sat down with students uh, and, and helped them to understand how can they move beyond this? How can they move out of this? Uh, with, with some very earnest, very sincere questions. Uh, so this is something that, again, is very very dear to my heart. And maybe in telling you all that, I may have given away some of my answers. You may have kind of already got an idea of where I'm coming from, but I think it's important before we get to the specifics uh, just to address the, the delicacy of the issue. If you are here today and you are wrestling with homosexuality, maybe you are openly homosexual. I know that we've had many people in the past who have come through in that situation. Can I just say this? City Church loves you. This church loves you. We serve a God who loves you. We serve a Jesus who died for you. Uh, and so as we get into these questions today, I want you to know uh, that, that we are glad that you're here. We think you're in the best place you could be. And we believe that God has something very clear, very powerful, very life-changing to speak to you today. So all that out of the way, let's get to the questions. What does the Bible say about being a homosexual? The truth of the matter is the Bible doesn't just say a whole ton about being a homosexual. In in that day and age when the Bible was written, uh, homosexuality was not the cultural phenomenon that it is in modern day America, especially in the Jewish culture, which is who most of scripture was written to. uh, There wasn't a lot of homosexuality prevalent by any means historically in that community. Uh, The Greeks and the Romans uh, had a little more homosexuality prevalent in their times. And so once we get to the New Testament, it's actually spoken to a little bit more frequently than it is in the Old Testament, but there's not just a ton about it. In fact, the Bible only speaks about homosexuality seven times. And so what we're going to do 
uh, in embracing this question is I'm going to take you through the seven times where the Bible talks about homosexuality. We're going to look at all of them. Not often that I can give you everything that the Bible says on a particular topic, uh, but this is one topic that we can do that. So we're going to look to Scripture. First of all, Genesis chapter 19 is a very famous narrative. It's the story of a place called Sodom and Gomorrah. It's the first time where homosexuality of any sort appears or any homosexual act. And so in Genesis chapter 19, we see a man named Lot who was a a God-fearing man who loved God. He was Abraham's nephew. And Lot lived in this very God-forsaken, very sinful place. Uh, In fact, he had kind of disobeyed God to go live in this place. And so he's in this place surrounded by a lot of wickedness. And God sends three angels to visit Lot. And these three angels who who look like men, uh, they pass through the town and everybody sees them go to Lot's house. And so that night, an angry mob of the locals gathers together, it says both young men and old, and they come to Lot's house and they demand that Lot releases these three men so that they can have sex with them. This is the first instance of seeing homosexuality in scripture. Uh, That doesn't actually happen, uh, but it is the thing that the crowd demands that they want to sleep with these men. So that's the first place where we see homosexuality. It just pops up kind of briefly there. Then we get to the book of Leviticus, which is the book all about God's law. Um, Tons and tons and tons and tons of laws. Some laws which are still in effect, which we are still called to obey. Some which are no longer in effect and we're no longer called to obey. We don't really have time to answer that question today, although I know a couple of you have texted that in and we will get to that uh, a little bit later on as far as the Old Testament law. But it does say this in Leviticus chapter 18 and then later on in Leviticus 20. It says, Leviticus 18.22, do not have sexual relations with a man as one does with a woman, that is detestable. Then Leviticus 20, verse 13 says, if a man has sexual relations with a man, as one does with a woman, both of them have done what is detestable. They are to be put to death. Their blood will be on their own heads. Now, it's important for us to understand this. After Jesus came, uh, there, were, there were a ton of Old Testament laws that demanded the death penalty. Uh, this was not just, hey, God was picking on gay people. There was, there was a lot of Old Testament laws where if they were broken, they demanded the death penalty. Once Jesus came, that's not instituted anymore. The, the penalty for sin is through the government, uh, but the ultimate spiritual penalty for sin is in the next life. Uh, so we are not called to put homosexuals to death. That is not something that we're supposed to be practicing or looking for or anything like that. Uh, God does not want gay people to die. Uh, Judges chapter 19 is the next instance. In verse 22, we see an angry mob, very reminiscent, almost exactly the same story as the story in Sodom and Gomorrah. There there was a man and his wife uh, who were traveling through town, actually through Israel, and they came to an old man's house. The old man uh, was going to put them up for the night on their travels. And the people in this community saw this man, and they decided, I guess he looked good, I'm not sure, but they decided that, that they wanted to be with him. And so an angry mob shows up at the old man's house, and they demand that he gives them the man. And, and just like in the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, nothing actually happens. There is no uh, homosexual act here, uh, but it does appear. It is inferred there as well. So that's the four Old Testament incidents of homosexuality, twice in narration, twice in the law of Leviticus. Getting to the New Testament, we see three instances. And the reason why I said the New Testament is more frequent, because the New Testament is a lot smaller. There are quite a few less New Testament verses, and yet there are three verses as opposed to four. Uh, Speaking of homosexuality, so the first 
we find is in Romans chapter 1. And this, I'm going to give you some of the context of this passage just to understand what is being spoken to here. Verse 18 says that the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. So this passage we're about to get into is going to talk about the wrath of God. Everybody's favorite topic, right? Not mine. Uh, but it is definitely an aspect of, of his character. It is something that is true. Uh, the important thing to see here is that God's wrath is being poured out against what? Go ahead and put that verse back up for me, Vince. God's wrath is being poured out against the godlessness and wickedness of people. God's wrath burns against sin. God's wrath does not burn against sinners. Really important dis distinction here. It doesn't say that God's wrath is being poured out against the wicked people. It says it's being poured out against the godlessness and the wickedness of people. God loves people. God loves sinners, but he hates sin. He has wrath towards our sin. And so this is the context that we're going to see the next mention of homosexuality. We're going to skip down to verse 24. It says, therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. It's not specifically talking about homosexuality yet, but I think that's part of the category here. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshiped and served creative things rather than the creator, who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. Uh, this is the only mention in scripture or suggestion of lesbianism. Uh, in the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 9 and 10 is the next mention of homosexuality. It says, Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. In the original Greek, uh, what's translated there is men who have sex with men. Uh, there's actually two different terms in the original Greek, one for, for the passive performer and, and one for the active. And both are mentioned in the original passage here. Uh, so both ends of the homosexual relationship are listed in this list. And then 1 Timothy 1, 8 and 10 says, we know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, for those practicing homosexuality, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine. So, what can we conclude from the seven scriptural mentions of homosexuality? What, what can we grab from, from looking at this through the entire lens, Old Testament, New Testament? What does the Bible say about homosexuality? Well, first of all, we see that not one scriptural reference to homosexuality is positive. In fact, not only is not one reference to it positive, not even one reference to homosexuality is neutral. In every instance, in every place where homosexuality is looked at or discussed, it is clearly not God's best. It is clearly not God's intention. It is clearly not what God has for his people. There, scripture is not a ton of it, but the scripture that there is is very clear. There's not really any room for debate. There's not really any gray area 
the Bible speaks out pretty clearly against homosexual acts. So the answer to the first question here, what does the Bible say about being a homosexual? So the Bible is clear. Homosexual acts are sinful. Now, notice that I said homosexual acts are sinful. The reason why I use that word acts is because uh, I think we need to draw a distinction between actions and temptations. Uh, homosexual temptations are not sinful. If you're here today and you have homosexual temptations, you have inclinations or desires, uh, those in and of themselves are not sinful. We see Jesus himself was tempted. They don't believe that Jesus was tempted with homosexuality. We don't see that, but we do see Jesus tempted with sin. And the entirety of scripture is very clear that we're all going to be tempted. And the temptation is not the sin. Sin is not in the temptation. Sin is in the response to the temptation. When we give in to that temptation, when we act on our temptation, that is when sin occurs. So, in other words, if you're here today and you do have homosexual desires, what I would say to you is this. Don't give in to those desires. It's not God's best. It's not God's will for you. It's not the thing that God has for you. I believe if you do give in to those desires, when you give in, it is sin. But I do not believe that simply having those desires is evidence that there is something wrong with you, that, that you are somehow an abomination or detestable. I don't believe that it means that, that you need help any more than any of the rest of us do. Because all of us have temptations. All of us have desires. All of us have things in our sinful nature that pull against God's will for our life. Uh, and so all of us have to submit those desires, have to submit uh, our sin nature to God's word. So what does God have to say about this? What does God truly want from me? Uh, and all of us are in that same boat. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 puts it this way. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. Aren't you glad God is faithful? He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. No temptation has taken you except what is common to mankind. If you have homosexual desires today, there are millions of other people on planet Earth who have the same temptations, who have the same desires. There is nothing in your desire that, that can, should isolate you, that should make you feel like, man, there's something wrong with me. There's something I'm, I'm different than everybody else. Don't let the enemy set you apart like that. And he doesn't do that just with homosexuality. He does that with all of our sin. Man, whatever our sin is, he tries to make us feel like, man, you are the worst person ever because you had that thought, because you stole that thing, because you had that attitude. Whatever the sin is, he wants to separate us. He wants to isolate us. But God says, no, there's no temptation that's overtaking you except what's common to mankind. All of us have that same sin nature. And my temptation may look different than yours. Your temptation might not look the same as the person next to you. But there's a whole lot of us who have those same temptations. Uh, the key is having homosexual temptation is not sinful, but acting on that temptation is. So working backwards through our questions, we get to this. What if someone is truly born homosexual? What, what if somebody is really born gay? Is that possible? Is this something that can happen? Uh, the Bible does not answer this question for us. The Bible does not say people are born gay or people are not born gay. So we're going to have to infer some things from some scriptural principle, and I'm going to share some things strictly from my opinion here. Uh, but the mainstream Christian response to this question is pretty 
simple. Most evangelical Christians would say, uh, this is what I was raised believing both in my family and in my church, and, and many of you were probably raised this way as well, that people are not born gay, that homosexuality is absolutely 100% a choice. I know many of you here this morning probably believe that, and, and I think it's okay if you believe that, but I'm going to disagree with it, at least to some degree, and this may surprise some of you that I would disagree with this. So, so let's walk through it. Are people born gay? On the grounds of biblical, or biblical principle, I think it's possible that people can be born with some homosexual inclination. Uh, I have two principles that I'd like to share on this. First of all, it's simply this. We're all born sinners. All of us. We're all born with inclination to sin. Your inclination might be different than someone else's, but we all desire sin. We are born in sin. And so I don't see why homosexuality would necessarily be different than any other type of sin. Uh, we are born with a desire to go against God's best for our life. All of us are born that way. Uh, secondly, I would point to Deuteronomy chapter 5. Deuteronomy 5 tells us that the sins of the fathers are visited upon the sons down to the third and the fourth generation. And so I do believe that there are generational sins that can be passed on, generational strongholds, generational uh, issues. So I, I think it's very possible for the dad who's locked up in his room watching lesbian porn that that, that addiction, that that bondage is going to flesh itself out in his kids or in his grandkids in some ungodly ways. doesn't mean that they're necessarily going to be gay, but I certainly believe that it's possible that they're going to be born with that inclination, with that stronghold. Now, even if that's the situation, uh, I, I was born into a family of alcoholics. Both of my brothers are alcoholics. My dad was an alcoholic. I, I believe my whole life that, hey, I could very easily become an alcoholic. Uh, to, I could stand here before you today and tell you I've never been drunk, never became an alcoholic. I didn't go that route. I think it's in me, uh, and I'm not going to mess with it. I'm not going to play with it. Uh, but just because it was born in me doesn't mean I had to give myself over to that desire, to that inclination. doesn't mean that I've got it all together. Trust me, I've given myself over to many other temptations and desires. I've blown it in many ways. But praise God, by his grace, I haven't fallen into that one. Because that was so destructive in, in so many lives that I value so dearly. Uh, and I've seen the destruction in their lives. So I don't have any issue with, with the idea that some are born with an inclination towards homosexual sin. Um, I think that the, the idea of, of the sins of the fathers being passed on to the children, I think as our culture gets more and more sinful and more and more away from God, I think it's a really simple explanation for why we're seeing such a rise in homosexual activity. Because it's such getting passed on and it's becoming more and more prevalent. So I believe that that's a very plausible, very possible answer to that question. Um, could someone be born with homosexual tendencies and inclinations? I absolutely believe that someone could. Now, it doesn't mean that everybody who's gay was born that way or, or born with that inclination. Uh, truthfully, I believe this, and I, this is going to almost sound like it contradicts what I just said. I don't believe that we're born sexual beings at all. Uh, the reason why you can change a baby's diaper, the reason why a mom can breastfeed a baby is because the baby's not sexual. It, it's not in it yet. Uh, psychology teaches us that sexuality in humans actually develops between the age of five and eight years old. And, and we see many examples in psychology of, of kids who have had traumatic experiences, kind of unnatural experiences, developing sexual desires towards even inanimate objects. 
there, there are psychological case studies out there about people with sexual desire for trees and all kinds of other things that we won't get into this morning. Uh, those are, are things that were developed through kind of a fractured, fragmented childhood. Uh, and so I think that, yes, it's possible for some people to be born with kind of a, a DNA inclination towards homosexuality, but I think we need to be careful not to put everybody in the same bucket. Uh, it's kind of the natural what we want, right? Like either everybody's born gay or nobody's born gay. That's kind of, we want like one answer. I don't think it's all the same. Uh, I think every situation is unique and is distinct, uh, and I don't think that we can just say, hey, you are born gay or you are not born gay. Um, I think all kinds of, of things in experience can cause someone to go a different route. In fact, uh, when I, we still lived in Seattle, there was a, a woman who came to preach at our church uh, who had AIDS. And the reason she had AIDS was her husband uh, had contracted AIDS uh, during a blizzard. He had been, been in this blizzard, and the, he was at work at the plant. He worked at uh, actually an oil plant. And, and he was at the plant, and the blizzard came, and, and so they were locked in for like, they were snowed in for like 14 days, if I remember the story correctly. And the husband had been molested by his father as a kid. Uh, and had always struggled with homosexual tendencies, never indulged in it, never gave over to that desire until he was locked in this plant for 14 days with a bunch of other men. And while he was locked in this plant for 14 days, he, he did give himself over to that desire for the first time. And the first time, he got AIDS, didn't know it, came home with his wife and, and gave his wife AIDS. Uh, and it was a, really just an amazing testimony of her forgiveness and her grace towards him and her love for him and, and how he worked through this. And uh, we, we were praying, man, that God would heal both of them. Uh, and honestly, I don't know what happened because we moved kind of shortly thereafter. But there was an example of somebody who, because really no fault of his own, because of something that was done to him as a child, someone took advantage of him, th there was something in him that should not have been there. doesn't mean everybody who is gay was molested. I'm certainly not saying that, but there are examples of that. What I also think is that sometimes... People get pushed towards that, especially uh, with kind of the bully culture. And bullying is almost like a buzzword. I hate to almost even use it because it's kind of overdone in our culture right now. Uh, but, man, if a, if a boy especially grows up kind of, if he hits puberty late or if he's just a little bit more feminine, if he's not as athletic, whatever, the automatic across every, I've lived in a lot of parts of the country, a lot of different subcultures, across every single one of them, it's always the response is, oh, man, that kid's gay, right? Uh, that's kids are just cruel that way and they throw that word around you hear that stuff enough you might start to believe it you got enough people tell you that you're gay you might actually start to think that hey I am or I think even this happens sometimes that that feminine guy he may know hey I'm not gay I don't really desire guys that's not something I'm into but because he's kind of pushed aside by every other aspect of society there's one community that does embrace him and that's the homosexual community and so he goes to the act community, not really because he wants to be with a guy, because he wants to be with somebody who will treat him right, who will respect him. And so I think as a church, uh, we have a huge responsibility to embrace sinners of any kind, of, of any stripe, of any variety. I mean, we've got an incredible responsibility to love people. And, and we've got, especially I think as guys, we've got to watch our jokes. And I've been guilty of some bad gay jokes in my life. I'm just going to be real. I've not been sinless in this area, so I'm not standing up here holier than anybody. Uh, but, but I do think that this is something that, man, 
there's going to be some Christians standing in heaven answering to God for some joke that they thought was real funny. That threw somebody's life off track because they got pushed away from who God really had them to be. I think we need to take that seriously. I think we need to be very, very careful and cautious about the things that we say. So, are people born gay? Some maybe, some maybe not. I think sexuality doesn't kick in until a little bit later in life. But ultimately, the the answer is it doesn't matter. Whether people are born gay or whether they're not gay, Scripture is clear. We're not supposed to act on those desires. And so wherever the source of that desire is, uh, it's not of God. And God's got something better. And that's what we as a church, that's what we as the people of God have to point people to, that, man, God has something better for you. God's got a greater plan for you than this. He's got something so much more fulfilling than giving in to this desire. Next question, working backwards. Can active homosexuals go to heaven? Can somebody who's a practicing homosexual, who who is given over to that desire, can they go to heaven? Well, I'm going to answer that question with another question. What gets us into heaven? Is it our actions or is it God's grace? It's God's grace. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says it so eloquently, so beautifully. It says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. I'm not going to heaven because I'm not gay. I'm not. I'm going to heaven because God came down as a man and died on a cross for my sin. That's what's allowing me to spend eternity with him. It's not my right actions. Thank God. It's not my right actions. It's his incredible actions. And so when we look at any sin and we say, hey, is this sin going to keep you from heaven? We can answer the same question. Man, if somebody gets, can you go to heaven if you commit suicide? Uh, man, I, I think a lot of times the church has responded, no, man, you're going to hell if you commit suicide as a way to kind of be like, don't commit suicide. Uh, don't commit suicide, please. But it's not the unpardonable sin. Homosexuality is not the unpardonable sin. We don't go to heaven because before we died, we didn't do a bad sin. We go to heaven because there's a God who loves us enough that he died for us. That's what gets us into heaven. So can an active practicing homosexual go to heaven? I certainly believe that they can. What I would do is I'd flip that question around and ask this. Can a Christian desire to be a homosexual? I think the answer to that is yes, because Christians can desire drunkenness. We can desire drugs. We can desire pornography. We can desire sleeping around. We can desire a whole list of sins, gossip, lying, deceit, whatever you want to get to. Yes. So then the question becomes, can a Christian actively engage in sin? I think the answer to that is yes. I don't think it's God's best, but I don't think simply receiving Christ means that I'm never going to sin again. I don't think it means that I'm never going to give myself over to sin again. Uh, I don't think any of us in this room would be able to look back since our salvation and say, hey, I haven't blown it. I haven't ever given in to temptation. Uh, So I would say yes, an active homosexual can go to heaven. I would say it with a very strong caveat. And that would be this. Christians can sin, but we can absolutely never be comfortable with our sin. We can never be in a place where we are, hey, this is just who I am. This is just, this is just me. This is just my weakness. Where that's somehow 
okay. If we truly receive the salvation of Jesus Christ, we understand that our sin is so serious that Jesus had to die to pay the price for it. And we can never, ever have a casual response to sin. We can never casually, willfully, deliberately give ourselves over to that place and say, well, I know this isn't what God has for me, but it's just kind of what I'm into. It's kind of who I am. And I think the biggest danger of homosexuality is not the sin itself. I think it's the identity that it creates, where, where a homosexual would say, I am gay, I am lesbian, uh, and, and is therefore grabbing hold of an identity that's contrary to God's best for their life. That's where the real danger lies. And so I certainly would not say that there won't be any homosexuals in heaven. In fact, that passage we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 and 10, if you read verse 11, it goes on to say, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were saved, you were sanctified by the blood of Jesus Christ. So there's going to be some homosexuals in heaven. That's scriptural. That's not my opinion. Are there going to be people who, who were practicing before they went, before they died? I don't know that for sure. My gut would say probably yes, because I believe there's going to be some people in heaven who were drug addicts before they died, who were into porn or sleeping around or, or any other sin that we can imagine. Because I think God's grace is sufficient to cover all of those sins. But if you're here today and you're struggling with any of those sins or any kind of sin we haven't mentioned, don't ever, 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 ever get comfortable in that sin. Don't ever get to a place where you think it's okay. You've got to struggle with it. You've got to put it to death. Colossians 3 verse 5 says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your sinful nature. Put it to death. That is a violent, man, active passage. That's not, hey, whenever you get around to it, that's not, we understand you're going to have some issues and you're going to struggle and it's okay. I'm okay. You're okay. It's okay. Man, Jesus had to die for this stuff and he did. And since he did, now we can put it to death and we've got to. That is the clear charge of scripture. Whatever our sin is, whatever our struggle is, we can't get content in it. We can't get happy with it. We can't get okay with it. Doesn't mean we don't continue to fall sometimes. The Bible says that a righteous man falls seven times. If you fall, that's okay. Get back up. Keep moving. Keep running. Keep going. But don't be okay with falling. Don't just be like, all right, I'm just going to sit here in my sin and settle here. Never settle for less than God's best for your life. Struggle with it. Put it to death. And that includes homosexuality. If you're struggling to defeat this area in your life, I believe that God's mercies are new each and every morning. I'm so grateful for his mercy in my life. And I believe that it applies to you and whatever you're going through just as much as it applies to me. I believe he'll empower you. He'll strengthen you even when you fall. Just don't get happy. Don't get content. Sit in your sin. Keep moving forward. Keep allowing God to deliver you. Looks like we're going to have time for just one more question this morning. We will have Melody uh, bring one up at the end of service as well uh, that we'll do very quickly. But our last one this morning is, is kind of tangential. It's kind of related to this, but a little bit different. And it's a little more light, hopefully. Uh, but it's this. Why does God allow Westboro to exist? <laughs> awesome question, whoever submitted that. Thank you. If you don't know who Westboro is, let me tell you just a little bit about them. Uh, First of all, it's a, it's a church in Topeka, Kansas. If you have a picture, go ahead and put that next picture up, Vince. This is a picture of Westboro Baptist Church. 
Uh, I don't know if you can see that banner on the right, but it says GodHatesAmerica.com. Uh, that's one of their things. Uh, we have a couple other pictures. Go ahead and put the next one up. Here's a person from Westboro doing Westboro things. Uh, this uh, started in 1991 uh, when they first started picketing. I remember uh, being a very young teenager, 12, 13 years old, and seeing one of these guys on the news and asking my parents, what's a fag? I was a little bit sheltered. Uh, so it was a very educational experience for me. Uh, so uh, they, they picket at all kinds of places and obviously have a, a very firm uh, opinion about God's feelings. They like to speak for God. Go ahead and put the next picture up. This guy I like, uh, he decided to pick at Westboro. God hates signs. God doesn't actually hate signs, but I thought it was funny. Uh, thought I would share that with you. So uh, Westboro essentially is, is this. That it's a church, in quotation marks, led by a pastor named Fred Phelps. Uh, they've got about 40 members. They were founded in 1955. And like I said, it was about 1991 when they first started making news, going out and carrying out their picketing. Their first target was homosexuals, and it's still their primary target. They think very strongly that homosexuality is an abomination, that it is detestable, and that the world needs to know. They also gained a lot of notoriety in recent years for protesting at the funerals of fallen military heroes. Uh, when someone uh, dies in Afghanistan or Iraq and, and they send the body back here, Westboro will go and protest at their funeral, saying that this is the judgment of God, that God hates America because America tolerates homosexuality and, and some other pretty awful things. Um, we try to have a policy here of honor. Uh, it is one of my goals to not speak badly about other churches or other pastors. I think one of the enemy's greatest tricks is he brings unity or disunity into the church uh, because he causes this Baptist church to not like that Methodist church or this Assemblies of God church to not like that Lutheran church. And we have so much fighting in the body of Christ when we're going to share heaven together. Uh, and so I, I try to honor other churches, other people of God, even if I don't always understand where they're coming from or what they're doing uh, in the eight, almost nine years that I've preached on this stage or, or another stage at another location uh, in this church, um, I've only ever said something bad about two other churches or pastors. One of those uh, is the guy uh, in May of 19, or 2011 who said that the world was going to end. I don't know if you guys remember that guy. Harold Camping uh, decided that the world was going to end in May of 2011. And then when it didn't, he decided he missed it by six months, and it was October of 2011. Uh, and then the world didn't end then either, and he's kind of been quiet. Uh, so that was the one who, who I had to come out to our students and say, look, the world's not going to end. It's okay. I, the world is going to end, but it's not going to end when he says it's going to end. Uh, so that's one. The only other church or person I've ever criticized from here is Westboro. And uh, I think that criticism is quite warranted. I don't really consider them a church at all. I, I don't know if they're going to be in heaven with us or not. Uh, I know what I, my opinion is, uh, but <laughs> I'm not going to stand and make that decision on Judgment Day. Uh, that's God's job and not mine, and it's a good thing that I'm not God. Uh, I know this. They bother me. They bother me a lot, and I think as Christians, they should bother you. You see, the Bible says in John chapter 1 that Jesus came from the Father full of grace and truth. Full of grace, 100% grace, full of truth, 100% truth. 
And the mistake that churches and Christians make a lot of times is we go one way or the other. We sell out. We are all about grace. We love everybody. Man, everything's happy. No problem. Or we're all about truth. And God has said this and these and thous, and, and we're all about truth, and we forget grace. Jesus was both. Westboro is neither. They miss it completely. There is no grace in anything that they do, and they don't even have truth because they're wrong. God loves homosexuals because God loves people. And so they have no grace and no truth, so, so they've missed the mark absolutely, completely, uh, and I believe that we need to aspire to be both. My goal for this series, my heart, my prayer is that God would speak through me in a way that his grace and his truth are absolutely affirmed in every message. That, that people see the grace and the goodness of God while also understanding the truth of who he is. And I don't believe they have to be in competition with one another. I actually believe that grace isn't really grace without truth. And truth isn't really truth without grace. We have to have them. Both. So, speaking of Westboro, why would God allow them to exist? Why would God allow somebody to be so hateful and so evil and hurt his reputation and the reputation of his people? I don't know if you've seen them on the news, but man, every time they go on the news, I just cringe because somebody else is writing off the people of God. Because somebody else is writing off what God has for them because of these people who are proclaiming such lies with such hatred. Why would God allow them to exist? Well, I believe that the things that Westboro does and says grieve his heart very great, great, very greatly. I believe that it bothers him a ton. But then why does God allow them to exist? I think he allows them to exist for the same reason he allows any of us to exist. He loves them. Is that, why is that hard for me to say? God loves Westboro. That just does not feel good coming out of my mouth. Uh, doesn't mean God approves of what they're doing. Doesn't mean God agrees with them, but he loves them. In fact, 2 Peter 3.9 sums it up this way. It says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Why hasn't God opened up a hole in Topeka, Kansas, and sucked them into the center of the earth? Because he's patient, and he's kind. And he's good. And he wants them to repent. He wants them to get right. And I don't always understand why God makes the decisions that he makes. I'm, I'm not going to pretend that I can answer for God. I don't, I'm not going to pretend God needs me to answer for him. Uh, I don't know. But I know he's good. And I know I'm glad that he doesn't strike us down when we screw up or when we make him look bad. I know I'm so grateful that he's been patient with me and my junk and my mistakes. And as I got into this, this message today, I really thought I was going to go a different direction with Westboro. I wanted to tell you all the reasons why they're terrible people. I was excited for that. And stinking God put conviction on me that he loves them too. That Jesus died for them too. And that my heart towards them needs to change. And instead of criticizing them and getting angry at them, I need to start praying for them. Because it's not too late. They're still here. If, they, if it was too late for them to come to Jesus, they wouldn't be here anymore. So the truth is, I don't know what your struggle is today. I know most of you, it's not homosexuality. There may be a few in this room. Most of us, our struggle is probably more, how do we respond to homosexuality? How do we love 
those people in our world that, that have embraced this identity that we know is contrary to the word of God. Maybe your struggle isn't that. Maybe you're struggling with something else today. I don't know what it is, but I know this. God is patient and he's kind and his kindness leads us to repentance. And I would say whatever sin you have in your life, whatever junk is evident in your world, go to war with it. Put it to death. Don't be happy with it. Don't be content with it. But understand Jesus died for it. And you can receive his grace. You can receive his forgiveness. You can receive his cleansing and his washing. And he's here today. And he wants to give it to you. So if you would, bow your heads and close your eyes. Father God, I thank you.